welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 166. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Mike. I mean, what an exciting few weeks again that you and I and our listeners are going on. I mean, we are really getting a lunar-powered moonshot dose of entrepreneurship at the moment, aren't we? Week by week. Mark, I think it's a blitzkrieg. I think it's a barrage of entrepreneurial inspiration, insights, learning, and habits. If you're still standing, you're probably five or six shows of entrepreneurial inspiration in a row. Mark, I'm ready to do one more. Where are we going today? Today in show number 166, we're digging into Reed Hastings, CEO, founder of Netflix. And Mike, I think it's fair to say that Netflix is a brand that all of us have at least heard of. And the majority, the vast majority are likely subscribers. And this is a brand that actually, surprisingly, it's been around since 1995. It's quite a long time ago now, if you you didn't know that. Well, um, those of us on this show, Mark, that have a bit of gray hair, do remember the joy of the old DVD. So hence, uh, we have some long memories into those little red envelopes from, from Netflix. But boy, I mean, what an exciting opportunity for us to delve into an enormously popular service. I mean, we were joking in the last show that Paul Graham has been part of so many products and services and companies, over 3,000 in fact, that we were pretty confident that our listeners uh, used at least one of them. And I think we can be equally, if not more confident, that of those of you listening today, there's a very good chance that most, if not all of you, are Netflix customers. This is a worldwide phenomenon, and we get to listen to the ideas of the founder, of the entrepreneur, as he builds the company in real time. I think that's pretty cool, don't you, Matt? I think that's pretty rare, isn't it? Sometimes the lessons that we're learning from are in retrospect, aren't they, Mike? We'll be hearing from individuals maybe retelling case studies. We'll be hearing from an entrepreneur or a philanthropist at the end of their, you know, uh, experience looking back. But you're right, with Reed Hastings, he's building this brand and all of us can sit on our couches and actually watch the brand grow. Maybe some of us are owning some shares, some stock on on our phones and we're following the the brand growing. And it's something that we can all watch and, and learn from. And it's fantastic to be able to get into Reed again today, hear those lessons hear what enabled him to stay on the right course, to build the Netflix culture deck, to actually learn from him with regards to how he does his business and how he works with teams. And I think it's a fascinating opportunity for us to continue this learning about being an entrepreneur and just keep on improving our mindsets towards building products, building brands. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's really interesting because um, hailing from Silicon Valley, Reed Hastings and the Netflix success is not a purely technology story. What's really interesting is what we have to learn together on the show today is that there is thoughts around culture. There is thoughts around continuous improvement. Um, Even how he thinks about managing people like managing a sports team. And I think that's really 
really a different take on the world of technology. In fact, it's quite similar to that of Paul Graham in the previous show. It's not just the idea, it's the founder. What Reed is saying, it's not just the tech, it's the people. And we've got the chance to to learn all about that today, Mark. I'm, I'm ready to go. How about you, Mark? Yeah, I'm absolutely ready to go. Let's get back into Reed Hastings, shall we? Why not? So get ready to listen to one of the greatest brands of the modern age, Netflix. Let's hear the story of Netflix. And more importantly, let's see what we can learn from the founder of Netflix, Mr. Reed Hastings. Choice. All right. I am ready to rock and roll. I am ready to get lights, camera, action on the world of Reed Hastings and Netflix. And we are going to start with, um, actually, it's been a real delight. We managed to find a really good um, sort of introduction clip for Reed Hastings. And already in him telling a little bit of his story, um, he gives us some insights in how to stay focused to focus really on a destination. And I think just so all of our listeners know, this clip is a little bit longer than normal, but it's going to set the scene for a really exciting show. So let's get into it. Let's listen to Reed Hastings and him having a North Star. At the end of high school, I got a job selling rainbow vacuum cleaners, and I was selling them door-to-door in the Boston suburbs area. Of course, there's a couple places I got thrown out of and other places uh, where they bought two. It was a fantastic um, introduction to selling, and luckily, uh, I still went to college. The lucky break of my life uh, was getting into Stanford uh, Graduate School in Computer Science in 86. In the past, I had never met entrepreneurs, and I had put them on a pedestal like they were godlike in all these ways. And so it really helps to be around some of them to see their regular people with a good idea. The thing I took away was with if they can do it, I can do it. And I worked at a startup for two years. I, like a typical you know 25-year-old programmer, had messy desks and lots of old coffee cups, you know, growing various fungi. And I went into work one day really early and I caught the CEO I'm cleaning my mugs in the bathroom. And I was like, oh, have you been cleaning my mugs all year? And he said, yes. And I said, why? Uh, and he said, well, it was the one thing I could do for you. You know, you do so much for the company. And so I ended up feeling, of course, like, God, that, I would follow that guy off the ends of the earth. Uh, and that's pretty much where he took the company. And I learned so much in that. I realized leadership is pretty nuanced because there's the personally endearing part about character and followership. And there's also the strategic part about not leading the company into a box canyon. So it was a, a really good lesson on it. The time that I started my first company, I was 30 and everyone said, oh, I was so young. The fundamental is to be self-aware enough that you want to learn and you learn through the criticisms and suggestions of others. At Pure Software, the company's culture was not that strong. And that was the beauty for me of getting to start over with Netflix because I realized that the trick in, in business is figuring out what scenarios could grow into a material threat because not all things will kill you. And if you get distracted dealing with every possible threat, you'll be very unfocused. I think of management strategy uh, like chess, where a human chess player has to examine a couple of key strategies, and mostly they're pruning the tree of possibilities. And if you prune correctly, you can see further down than the next person on the relevant paths. 
from the day we started, we knew DVD was going to die, and we named the business Netflix and on DVDbymail.com. So we had an advantage over Blockbuster that had a really great business in store rentals before it suddenly went away. But uh, I wish we had realized how hard they were going to attack. There was a multi-year battle for survival between Blockbuster and Netflix. One quarter we shrunk um, because they were basically hitting us on price so hard. We underestimated them to our peril. And honestly, in hindsight, if they had started two years earlier, uh, when we were that much smaller, they probably would have won. But they had quite a bit of debt, which constrained their flexibility, and then ran out of money. A great company is like jazz. You know, you want players who can improvise, partially because the climate's constantly changing and you're learning along the way. But you also have to have great judgment, like the chess player. So if you keep your North Star as, you know, how do I make the best product in this category for the people I'm trying to serve and then not get too distracted, it's probably a good place to be. Nice. It's a good long clip. I think that's a great introduction to read. It's honest. It's inspiring. It reveals a few great lessons that he's, he's stumbled upon over the years. But what I actually like about that clip is it shows his character. Mm. He's this honest, open guy. He's all about um, thinking about challenges and opportunities from a, a management strategy perspective. Obviously, he talks about the importance of having North Star, which I love. But also, he's referencing something that we'll visit a little bit more very, very soon in the episode. Culture as well as learning. He's he immediately references seeing um, the CEO cleaning his cup. And then he references some of the lessons that they saw from their competitor, Blockbuster. It's a good uh, clip at illustrating the importance of us day to day, looking around us, taking mm. everything in and noting where our competitors are, where our colleagues are, where the world is. I think it's a nice, timely reminder there. What did you think, Mike? I thought he was... Uh, I mean, how frank and down to earth was just the whole way he spoke. Um, like there, he wasn't, he's just like us chatting. He's not like trying super hard to be, come across as a CEO. He's, he seems really comfortable in himself, which I think is so important for, for leaders. And I, what I like is how quick he is to point out, well, we got smashed up by, by Blockbuster um, in, the, uh, um, in a lot of his um, reference to learning. He talks about learning from failure, which I think is so important. It, it reminds us that it's not a dirty word. It's actually the, the most powerful thing if we choose to make it. So, and I, I just love that as it, as, it, as it sets us up to talk about how you create a great culture, how you survive the challenges that he mentioned. I think he's set us on the, the right course. And um, I think actually, you know, outside of the content, what that was a reminder to me of is just be yourself, just yeah. be the person you are. And that's a big part of, of leadership. And, and I think that's why he can tune into culture so well, because he's, He's, he's not spinning up his engines trying to be, you know, empirical or, um, you know, presidential. He's just being read. And that sets us up to talk about culture and how you bring it alive and how your frame of reference really needs to change as you grow your business. So we're going to start um, uh, by learning from Reed. Um, how 
they actually, as a company, they get better as they get bigger. Yeah, I think everyone tries to build culture and values at first. You know, you have to stage it with a company to the degree that you're 20 people and you've got no revenue. It's sort of a very implicit culture. And, you know, you spend time on, you know, things that could kill you like, you know, product market fit. um, And that's appropriate. And then, you know, later, if you're going to last, then you say, okay, how do we, you know, make sure that as new people come in, the culture gets better. And one of the big things is probably this idea that you get better as you get bigger. So everyone implicitly has the idea that, you know, you start sucking as you get bigger, more political, harder to get stuff done. And you have to actively fight acceptance of that and come up with very concrete examples where like Netflix is significantly better in culture than three and five years ago and then 10 years ago and 15. And why is because we got more brains thinking about the problem. This is where Malthus really went wrong. So, of course, Malthus in the late 1700s said everyone's going to starve because you look at all the people growth and you look at the fixed agriculture. And he didn't realize that, you know, basically as the people grew, the ideas to improve agriculture would also improve. And so we've had a massive explosion in agricultural productivity and the ability to feed 7 billion people, which he would be shocked by. Right. And it's the same thing in company culture, which is if you have more, you know, if you have a a thousand really thoughtful people thinking about how to improve, you make more progress than if you've got a hundred. And so we are actually getting better as we get bigger. Um, But it's constantly changing the frame of reference. That's really what the leader does, Um, you know, that this is possible and that, in fact, we should aspire to it and and make it happen. Yeah, this this combination between having a leader who drives the direction mm-hmm. simultaneously having a team around you who are helping you prune those trees. So going back to the first clip, Reed saying, right, no matter how busy things get, you can always prune those trees away and, and, and see where you're going. It feels to me as though, you know, by combining leaders as well as uh, all the founders essentially, who may well begin with one really clear insight as to, okay, this is what we want to do. This is our product market fit. This is our mission statement. Once you start adding people around yourself, there is that risk of going a little bit off piece, but actually you are supported by your colleagues and by those thinkers and doers that get placed around you as well. They're they're sort of helping you along that journey, aren't they, Mike? Yeah, so I guess the the question is, So how do we do it? Like how do Mm -hmm. we uh, contribute in a way to our companies so that they can get better as they get bigger? And the first suggestion I've got is I think about how can I do this is I think treat every hire in the company as if it's the last person you're going to be able to hire. Like cherish the opportunity uh, to hire and really be rigorous. And it reminds me a little bit of something Mark Andreessen said, which is you're only as good as your worst person. And what, it, what, <laughs> what, he, what he means there is if you hire someone who's not really a good fit, but you just want to fill the seat, then you, you're dropping the level of the whole organization. And in a funny way, Reed is saying the same thing here. What he's saying is that every person should be adding uh, to the like brain power of thinking about culture mm. and the behaviors of contributing 
to that culture and everything that they do. So for me, this is a huge reminder. Every person you hire is a contributor to the culture. So ask yourself, do we get better when we add this person to the team? Do they bring good thinking? Do they bring new thinking? Do these guys demonstrate a level of ownership that we really need someone to come in and and take hold of things? I think that's what he's reminding us to do. So my question for you, now you've, you've heard Reed and he's talking about getting um, better as you get bigger with a big emphasis on the quality of the people thinking about the problem. What do you take out of this? If you want to make the culture uh, at Qualitans better, what do you, what, what comes to your mind? How might you do it? I think it starts with being aligned and understanding what the business does. I think there's a, there's a functional logistic operational layer that I suppose sits when you're sitting at home and you're reading the job description thinking, okay, well, do I deliver X, Y, and Z? But also on the other side of that coin, there's an emotional one. And that's what I think is the really, really important thing to, to cultivate. And I think what Reed has, has always demonstrated with his culture deck and there's a lot of work online uh, and interviews around the HR process for, for Netflix. Um, when I think about my job at Qualitans and what I do with my team is, okay, well, how can I help my, those around me? How can I help my colleagues? How can I ask better questions? How can I push their work forward? How can I be, you know, a really great team player at getting us to that mm. ultimate goal, whether it be a project being delivered or actually growing the company, growing the region? Well, you know, what's really interesting in this next clip, we've got Reed Hastings literally laying down the key word and the key concept. So, you know, many people make the mistake of thinking that, you know, great business should be like a family. And I think what Reed Hastings has is a much better metaphor. So let's have a listen to Reed talking about culture and business and building a team like it's a sports team. Yeah, we're like a professional sports team and we want to win a championship in our area. And we're very honest with people that it's about performance. It's not about seniority. It's not about politics. And working at Netflix, it's like being on an Olympic team. And it's really hard. But you do your best work when you're surrounded by people who are really talented and try hard. Um, And so we try to be very respectful. But it's fundamentally about performance for us. And we try to be clear about it because it's not for everyone. We want people who join Netflix to know how we operate and the professional sports team is the, the closest analogy. Okay, thank you. Yeah, this for me rings true. It rings very much to the, the core of uh, me actually because when I do join a business or go and get assigned to a project, I think to myself, okay, well, what does it mean to me? How can I work as hard as possible? Because ultimately. It, it matters, you know, everything that I do ladders up to the ultimate final delivery of whatever it might be. And I'm a firm believer in you get out of it what you put in. So this analogy that, that Reed is using is, is a real driver for me because I'm thinking, okay, well, if I am surrounded by the very be- best people and the very best players, 
that raises me up. I need to be performing to the best of my ability. I need to be trying mm. as hard as I can. And that's quite a good motivator. I like that. I like being surrounded by that as a driver. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not unlike uh, when you go to the gym and everyone's working out really hard. I mean, you, you instantly like, geez, I'm really getting into it today. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I think it's about creating yeah. a, a, an environment where everyone's, um, you know, 100% trying to perform. Doesn't mean you can't have fun, but when it push comes to shove, people are, are really... Uh, performing at their best. Now, obviously it's like executing tasks is very much what performance is about. Um, and it's also about, um, you know, ideas and the, and the exchange of ideas. So I wonder, Mark, when we talk about what he's really saying is the way he's built Netflix is it's a meritocracy, right? Those that perform rise to, to the top. Um, and when you think about what does it take, uh, to be great as a team in business, or if, uh, like me, you're totally addicted to the last dance, the, the, the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix, um, and ESPN, when you look at what it takes to be a great sports team, what are some of the attributes that come to your mind, Mark? Like if you, if you fondly remember your favorite sports teams, or you remember moments in the office where we've been great, what, what characterizes greatness if we're like a sports team? What do we see? What are the behaviors? Hmm. I think one of the real behaviors is driving for total alignment. So if I'm on a sports team, to you to continue that analogy, I want to know that all of those around me are driving us towards the goal, the finish line, the, uh, the difference between staying where we are and elevating ourselves in the championship. When I'm around business and, and colleagues, I think it's a similar thing. I'm thinking, how do I stay aligned with the business? How do I stay aligned with my colleagues? Mm -hmm. And how do I help them? You know, if they're going to help me continue to play my best game how do I support them without yes. yeah. you know tripping anybody on the field yeah. <laughs> well yeah I think you're absolutely right communication I mean um having coached um rugby what I can tell you is that one of the hallmarks of a great rugby team is they're always communicating their position where they are so verbally giving cues I'm here I'm here I'm here um another thing is calling plays people understanding the plays, having a plan and sticking to the plan. And I think the other thing, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, is this ownership thing. I mean, if you own your performance and in doing so know that if you're backing up your teammate, even though it's their play, if you're backing up and double checking, you might catch one or two little things in the office if you just help someone review their work, double check, uh, say, let's do a quick review together. That to me is where one plus one equals three. And that's team. That's where you've got individual performers coming together. I think, isn't it great that we can look uh, at Reed Hastings and learn from him that it really comes down to performance and a focus on performance, but also doing that within a team context. Um, I think it's really inspiring to see such a great company is truly built as a meritocracy 
built on merit, built on the things that you deliver, that you do, the way you play the game. I think it's really inspiring, don't you, Matt? Yeah, I really do. One of the things I enjoy most about work is when I feel ownership of a of a product or a or a project. You know, when you feel empowered, you you want to try your hardest and and do your best work. Mm. And that's very, very um empower uh, motivating I sure think. I think sure I, think. I mean and and it's it's good to do it's even better when the result and the outcome is really good <laughs> yeah that, that always helps yeah now so what's really interesting though is that you know great sports teams like great companies can sometimes fall into the trap that they have one set of plays and they become obsessed with only playing that way like they become too scripted. They seem to lack spontaneity and creativity. Well, just like you might see in a sports team, you see it exactly the same at work. And we've got this great, great, great clip right now where um, Reed is going to warn us uh, for over-controlling or micromanaging uh, the business. In fact, his great challenge to us is that he describes the way they work and you'll never believe it. He's going to talk to us about working on the edge of chaos. You know, the great thing about being able to do two companies in my life is not making the same mistakes. So in the first company, as we grew and went public, we put in, excuse me, a lot of process because we had the idea if we could just eliminate errors, think how good we can be. And so every time something went wrong, we put in a new process and we were so proud that we dummy proofed the system. And what we didn't realize is if you dummy proof the system, only dummies want to work there. <laughs> and so then the market changed and all of the kind of innovative, crazy thinkers had gone and everybody who was still there was really good about following the rules. But the market had shifted. This was the rise of Java and the Internet. And we were unable as a company to adapt. And that's when it hit for me. Short-term optimization about being efficient is the death of long-term success and innovation. And that we should build a company in Netflix that tolerated some short-term chaos. And we manage right on the edge of chaos. And the value of that is keeping and stimulating the amazing thinkers. So when the market shifts, like DVD to streaming or license to expand to original content, we have within Netflix all kinds of original thinkers. And that's the long-term optimization that all of us in organizations want. And so that's really fueled uh, the passion behind the, the culture deck, which is why short-term rules and process kill long-term health and innovation. And you think that uh, the freedom, responsibility, balance, instead of saying play by these rules, help people to be more adoptive? Absolutely, because it focuses people on having to think for themselves. So we always want people to think, and then when you attract thinkers, you're much more adapt because it's not following the rule book is how to succeed. How did company. you decide to get into original content? Well, I didn't. I thought it was a bad idea. Okay. Um, but luckily, in freedom and responsibility, you trust the people you work with. And Ted Sarandos, who's also a Crown Fellow and is here tonight. Hey, Ted, stand up. 
So Ted fell in love with House of Cards and with the basic idea of moving into original content and said, trust me, it's only $100 million. Um, and so I did, and he was worth it. And out of that, the world got House of Cards. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's another great and quite meaty clip. There's lots and lots to, to delve into. It would have been a lot of fun to be there to hear him do that speech. Um, the areas that for me, Mike, stood out is all about not lacking spontaneity. I mm. love this, you know, push by Reed for us to, you know, sometimes go and break the rules. That sounds like one of the main drivers of Reed's career. He hasn't always stuck between the lines. He does approach challenges as well as opportunities with a slightly different out-of-the-box approach, which I, which I really, really like. Mm. We'll dive into that in a bit. But also throwing yourself at chaos. It's almost as though he's telling us, okay, go and find something that you see as the challenge to your business, say streaming versus online DVD, and hurl yourself at it. Go and figure out how you might be able to um, get into that space. And I think that's kind of a demonstration of his innovation and his, his way of thinking. Yeah. The, the, I mean, what he's talking about is, you know, living somewhere between, you know, chaos and structure. Um, and particularly in a knowledge economy, you know, ideas are what win and then, you know, the structure to, to get them done is, is what brings home the money. I think what's what's really fascinating is he, the CEO, thought something was a bad idea, yet this other guy came to him and said, no, no, we should do this. It turns out to have been a huge win for them because not only was House of Cards massive, it opened up now a massive uh, full frontal attack that they are doing on original content. I mean, can you imagine that uh, four years ago, they weren't making their own shows at all. And it now makes yeah. up a huge piece of their offering. Yeah, Netflix Originals is, is huge. I mean, to be frank, I have a feeling that I may have even signed up originally back in the day for House of Cards, come to think of it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> now, now let's bring this back to ourselves and to the listeners. Here's the challenge. Yeah. How do we live and survive how do we thrive in between structure and chaos? I think this is the challenge he's putting before us now. And what I'm going to propose to you is something that resonates so strongly with me, which is as long as you have a clear mutual expectation between yourselves as colleagues and as a team. And when I say expectation, I mean, it's like ownership, number one communicating, number two, curiosity, number three, and number four, desire to be an expert in something. If we all hold those values to be true, we don't need to worry too much about structures because if you totally own the outcome of the work that you do and you're communicating and sharing and collaborating and learning along the way, don't worry, it's all going to turn out good. For me, those are the pillars in which you can then let go on structure because you're so deeply aligned on values. And that's what this culture deck um, that he often refers to and we've referred to. By the way, 
for all of our listeners, we'll have a link to the culture deck in our show notes. It is well worth um, your your while. In fact, Cheryl Sandberg said recently it's the most important document on the internet. She uses it a lot. I, I'm always using, particularly the emphasis on highly aligned. Um, so this is some of some thoughts on 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 how I think about living between them. But Mark, how do you see yourself? What are the things that you do to to live? somewhere near the edge of chaos? How do you have just enough structure and just enough freedom? Yeah, I, I do like your four columns, your four pillars. I think that's great. Um, and just before I turn the mirror on myself, I think just to add to your, your pillars, it's nice that once you have those four pillars aligned for each individual, there is that trust, that foundation is so strong that you don't need to go really, really deep into logistics planning and so on and so forth because yes, yeah. you've got that trust between one another. Okay. Like, let, me, like let me just double down for a second. If you have total ownership and you're a good communicator, I don't need to worry about you getting stuck because you will communicate that you're stuck. You will ask for help because you want to learn and because you have the outcome of the work you're doing in mind. So it's not the classic thing of if I don't ask, no one will tell. No, mm. because of those values, I don't need to worry. You'll just come to me when, when you've got a problem. That, like, exactly. I can't tell you how important this is how you live on the edge of chaos. But the thing is, mm. if, if you and I are working together and I haven't been explicit about my need for you to own something, my need for you to communicate with me, then how can I have how I'm, I have no reason to have the entitlement of sitting in my seat and saying, oh, well, Mark will reach out if he needs me. If we never made that explicit at the start, then what's going to happen is something is going to go wrong and we're all going to find out about it too late. However, if you have alignment on values, how you want to behave with each other, that you'll always take ownership, you'll always communicate, then I can, I can actually st step back a second and give you space in this example and say, go for it because I know you'll raise your hand if you're in trouble. I mean, this is essential to living on the edge of chaos. It, it, Reed talks a lot about it in the deck, but Mark, let's turn it back on you. How are you going to live? <laughs> How are you going to live on the edge of chaos? I, I, I genuinely I, I genuinely believe that living on that edge, that blade of, of between uh, chaos and so on. It is, it's thinking for yourself. You know, I, I think if I'm wondering, okay, well, where, how far is too far? Am I leaning over one side or the other? Am I not challenging myself and the opportunity enough? I will, I have to think for myself and, and challenge myself and question, okay, well, what is it that I'm doing? And I think to tie into what you were just illustrating there, that's the empowerment. That's the ownership. So when I have received direction, when I have received that responsibility, it is then the ball is in my court to think for myself. So actually, I feel like they're, they're very, very connected and, and quite aligned there. Mm. I think that blade and that line between the chaos is when you have that total alignment between people, that communication, the sports team, hey, I'm over here. So-and-so's over there, knowing where people are. It's all about the individuals owning and thinking for themselves. And that's where I think I challenge myself and how I stay on the right side of, you know, 
boredom and chaos. Mm. <laughs> if we mm. can those two. So uh, another thing is, I think what this is such an important opportunity um, to to share um, um, with uh, our amongst ourselves or with our listeners. I would propose this. I I think whenever you're in a collaborative project and you find yourself starting to blame, even in the conversation in your head, that you are blaming others, this should be a massive red flag. Because what you're essentially doing is letting go reducing your sense of ownership and saying, well, it's not my fault, it's their fault. They didn't do that. Because actually someone who's a high-performance member of a high-performance team will turn around and ask of themselves, what can they do to help that person perform better? Rather than hands in the air, oh, well, not me. So I have this because I have this tendency for attributing blame so I'm always like, no, no, no. If I was the coach, if, if I have their performance really vested into my responsibilities, the question becomes, okay, what can I do better to improve their performance? What can I do better to contribute to them? Or maybe they just need a tip. Maybe they need a chat. Maybe they need a vacation. Who knows? But whatever that it takes to help them getting back to performing, that is, that's the upside and the flag of when you're getting away from that when you're departing from the, the Netflix model, I think that's when you're starting just to point fingers. And for me, that's a big flag that I always call myself on so that we can still get to the outcome regardless of who's up, who's down in terms of performance. We can all band together. Mm. No, I, I think that's really, really valuable. That's a nice insight to, to share. I think it can be very challenging to accept or be aware of one's own behavior. So the fact that you know it's one of the things that you fall into and therefore, you know, you, you've got the opportunity to then slap your hand and say, oh, wait, hang on, I'm doing what I, what I always do. That's quite a good lesson, quite a good value and awareness uh, add to have. Um, I don't know whether I could call off the top of my head a similar a similar thing, to be honest, but I do love that, that, that honesty there. Mm. I'm, I'm going to, my thinking hat on for the next episode, I'll make sure I have a, a similar, <laughs> a similar insight. Well, while you think about that, I just want to remind all of our listeners that we're at the kind of midpoint of getting some really big ideas uh, from Reed how to live on the edge of chaos, how we're really like a sports team and really every person you hire should be a a net contributor to the culture to make you better. I mean, these are some fantastic things that we can get from Reed. Don't forget that we will have a link to the culture deck from, from Netflix in our show notes and you can get those. Mark, what is the destination? Oh, it is moonshots.io. Right. A hot destination. Soon to be as large as Netflix, I reckon. I think so. I mean, give us a couple of weeks and we're totally there. (laughs) So now we're going to make a little bit of an interesting uh, pivot. Uh, We're going to go into things obviously related to culture. I mean, this is one of Reed's big things. But what we're going to do is move into a couple of things that are applicable on a very personal level. 
Uh, they might be habits or rituals that you can get into. And I think this is a very complimentary set of thoughts and ideas, inspiration from none other than Mr. Reed Hastings, CEO and founder of Netflix. And this first shot in the arm uh, for all of you, our listeners, um, is about improvement. So let's have a listen to Reed Hastings to learn how we might always keep on learning. So then the question is, Reed, what do you do to not lose a culture if you believe you've got a great one early on? Yeah, I mean, one of the most common questions a new employee asks is, how do we preserve the culture? And I say, well, to preserve something, to pickle it, is the wrong solution. Um, we're not trying to preserve the culture. We're trying to make it better. And it's materially better than it was five years ago. And I'll cite a couple of specific examples. And then um, say, you know, well, your job, in addition to doing your role, is to figure out how do we get even better? Because it's only when you struggle to get better uh, that, you know, you, you really keep it vital and alive. So you always have to be saying, yeah, it's, it's pretty good culture, but I'm sure it can be better. How can we be better? Um, and so it's that struggle to improve that keeps it fresh. Mm. And not only is it a struggle or, a, a, you know, a vision that Reed's talking about with business, I think it's also applicable to us as individuals, you know, for me, I can own my ability at being the best version of myself. I can own how much work I put into things, my performance, as well as my, as, as you were saying, Mike, uh, recognition. If I, if I blame others, you know, it, it's all about this communication for planning. Um, I like that clip because it's telling me, okay, well, don't just sit on your laurels. Don't, allow yourself to kind of get caught up in the wind or the waves and let things just take you along for the journey. Make sure that you're value adding and creating enormous um, difference for those around you as well as the business. Yeah. I mean, he's really reminding us not to stand still, isn't he? Exactly. Um, and so I love, love the way in which he challenges uh, us that, you know, culture as an individual and as a group is, should always be improving. And my my biggest sort of aha as I think about how to embody this idea of always improving is whether you're talking about yourself or your team, invariably those are deeply interlinked uh, in a uh, business setting. The key thing for me is to make small but very regular improvements. Now, if I said to you, uh, Mark, we must do 20% more projects every year, you would think to yourself, that feels so daunting, right? That's a lot of work. I can't, I can't, yeah, like, I mean, what, you don't want me to sleep? I mean, come on. However, if I just said to you, how about every week we, um, we improve our efficiency on projects by 1%? And then the following week, it's 1%. The following week after that is 1%. Actually, that doesn't feel too hard to digest. But net, net, after a year of 52 weeks of improvement of 1% every single week, the outcome is actually pretty remarkable. And I think that if we do want to keep on proving, because it can feel, change can feel relentless. And I think it's when we just make it simple and digestible and immediate and uh, 
that's when we can like, okay, yeah, one percent better is okay. Yeah, okay. So we just have to do deliver this one one document extra this week compared to last year. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, let's see if we can do that. That that's continuous improvement. And it's just keep on tracking, be disciplined. And before you know it, after a year, you're like, wow, have we improved? Mm. I think that's that's at the heart of what we can take uh, there. So Mark, you know, we're talking about this constant improvement, but you've got to have the right mental models. You've got to be thinking about things in the right way. And I think there's a lot to learn from net, uh, from, from Reed Hastings in this part too, don't you? Yeah, I really do. This is a nice clip that we're about to listen to because it references a little bit of the culture deck we've spoken about. We've briefly mentioned some of the methods and and techniques they have uh, when hiring for teams at Netflix. Here, it's a great lesson for us to take away in our day-to-day life, encouraging us to stay curious and ask more questions. Is part of the interviewing process, do you have essentially a culture check? Like the, the, yes, the, but not like a checklist. Mm-hmm. Um, culture is always something that we interview for, mm-hmm. um, of kind of curiosity. And, and uh, you know, it's easy to find people who say, oh, I read the Netflix culture deck. I love it. I really want to be there. <laughs> you know, what's harder is, well, you know, what are the main things you disagree with and why? Uh-huh. You know, and when we get a blank stare, we're like, okay, not really a first principle thinker. And when they say, um, well, I thought the way that... Uh, you, you didn't talk about how to acculturate and, you know, if I'm not great on day three, am I out, you know, or is there, um, you know, do you look at it like an athlete where it's over some, you know, time period to prove yourself? And if so, what's that time period and why haven't you clarified that? Then we're like, oh, yeah, that's a good insight. <laughs> First principle thinker. So we're looking for people who, you know, are curious, um, typically self-confident, and they're not, um, they're questioning everything thing around them. So this is challenging because what what Reed Hastings is effectively saying to us here is not only do you need to be curious but you need to be confident in your thinking. And what's really interesting is you can almost look at the gifts that we're getting from Reed Hastings as one is in culture, right? But the second one is in this freedom of thought, of thinking better, thinking different. Um, This is where, I mean, one, Reed is giving us a lot, but two, I mean, this is a lot to digest, but what's also really interesting is how the way you think and the way you behave in in the team as a culture, how interlinked the the picture that Reed is, is really painting for us is that they're so interlinked. I find this quite surprising to see them so closely aligned. Don't you, Matt? Yeah, I do. I mean, every idea, he's, he's essentially saying every idea is up for debate. Mm. You know, even the culture deck, which, you know, we've now mentioned maybe a dozen times, which we're sort of heralding as an amazing resource. What Reed's saying here is question it. Don't take everything and every idea for granted and don't assume that everything is correct because what makes the best teams and the best employees is when you are a first principle thinker, when you are thinking, what can I add to this? Yes, and where do we want to go with X idea? And I think that for me is, it can be a bit of a challenge, right? Mm. It's quite challenging to hear an idea or a presentation or um, 
any sort of messaging or communication and naturally veer towards, hmm, how could I disagree with it? Because I think naturally we are trained to be quite accommodating with one another. Mm. And I don't think Reed's necessarily saying go out and challenge one another for the sake of it. I think what he's saying is don't just blindly accept something. Think about how you might be able to add to it because of your background, Mm. your upbringing, your experience. Everybody has a different formula or, or model behind them that has led us to this point. And what I love about this drive and push towards being first principle thinkers is that's something that, again, you can own. You will own that ability. Right. And we can learn a lot from um, Ed Catmull, the founder of Pixar here, who we did way back in episode eight, feels like a lifetime ago. And he talked about creating safety of thought because if people feel really safe in their thoughts, then they feel free and allowed to, to say things that might be contradictory to the de facto thinking and the bias within the organization. And what you're clearly seeing here is the opportunity for for us to understand that if we can create a way for people to meaningfully discuss, maybe argue, maybe weigh up different factors and contrarian thinking, good things are going to happen when that happens. I mean, to some of uh, Reed's earlier points, I mean, if, if if you're just making everything dummy proof, then there's going to be no critical thought. Um, now, what's, the, what's really interesting about this, though, is if you are hooked on the Reed Hastings playbook, then you're like, okay, it's about culture. It's being about better together, living on the edge of chaos, not micromanaging things. I'm with you. You've got to be improving. You've got to be curious. But what he does for us now is to talk about bringing everything together. You've got to have an, an sort of an organizing principle, like a central idea, a North Star. Um, Hey, sometimes we even call them the lighthouse. And in the case of Netflix, um, their North Star is this idea of always delivering joy. So let's have a listen now to Reed Hastings talking about how Netflix delivers joy. We collect this year about $8 billion of customers' money. So thank you, all of you, for giving us your money. And what we do is we say that money is in trust to create joy. We have to turn that into the most joy possible. And so we look and we say, for every show, if a show costs $100 million, how much joy, how much viewing did it create amongst all of you? Uh, if it costs $50 million or $200 million, of course, you want different amounts of joy. And so <laughs> we look at it as how much joy can we create of your money, and if we turn it into into joy effectively, then you're happy and you tell your friends and we grow and then we have more money next year to turn into more joy. So we're, we think of ourselves like alchemists. We take in money and out comes joy. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lovely little mantra because I feel quite connected. Again, we, you know, Reed is this uh, amicable and quite authentic and honest guy. And it's quite, a, it's quite an unusual admission for somebody who's worth $4.6 billion, he is calling out, look, we take your money. It's great, but it's only an investment. We're funneling into new content, new original TV shows and films. And ultimately, the reason why, it's not just to keep you entertained, but it's to create advocates for the business. And I, I personally, I feel quite connected to that business because of this approach. And it's something that I'm sure 
almost every business does, you know, including Apple and so on. But I think Reed's awareness and acknowledgement of it for me feels very, very inspiring. And actually it's something that I'm going to try and take away and think about when I'm doing projects mm. now as well as in the future. You know, it, it, it just feels a little bit more transparent, I think is the word. Yeah, and it's very similar to Bob Iger, in fact. And Bob is very focused on being a happiness, happiness machine at Disney. And he's really, you know, he celebrated the joy in which he felt in bringing that ha- happiness to millions, if not billions. And in the same way, Netflix has it too. I think it's very similar if you actually break down really great companies such as Zoom Video. Um, they have a really big, uh, uh, vision about what they want to bring frictionless video and the happiness that can come through connection with others. It's really funny how there are just these incredibly simple yet sort of simple, powerful human truths that often become the organizing principle of these insanely successful companies. And we're seeing it again here from, from Reed Hastings and Netflix. Whew, I think we've got time for just one more clip mark but we need we need a final thought we need a closing argument for why there is so much to learn from reed hastings at netflix where should we go well i think culminating a lot in what we've discussed it's a lot about teams it's transparency it's collaboration and for for reed and netflix and even something that you referenced earlier sometimes we all find it a little bit hard to agree with colleagues and other people. But what is important to take away and what Reed's going to tell us a little bit about now is it's important to see both sides of a point of view so then you can model your behavior on the entire picture. Things kind of get covered up because people don't want to confront things. How does that work? You know, we're never brutal. I mean, we're always honest, um, but we're always uh, respectful and trying to, we, you know, we do the Stephen Covey, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And we're always trying to tease out, why would a good person do something I don't seem to make sense? And so we ask, we're curious. Uh, we really don't have that academic uh, kind of, you know, let's beat each other up and out of that will come the truth. We say we're not like prosecutor in defense where they're extremist in the search of truth. We're more like the Supreme Court, where you try to take both sides of every issue and understand it. And that's the model, the behavior we have. It's on you seeing both sides. And it's not always easy, but if you start uh, with this idea that there's always two sides to a point of view, there's always two sides to an idea. I mean, this is this is really the essence of seeing pros and cons, the essence of critical thinking. And I mean, it's a bit sneaky of Reed. He's already taught us a bunch today on how to think about culture and improvement and curiosity, even delivering joy. And then he comes with that one, Mark. So question to you, Mark, how do we see both sides of an eye? Well, I think it's the admission in ourselves that our, our point of view or response is subjective. So I may not immediately see another person's point of view because I'm a product of not only my upbringing, but maybe even my mourning. <laughs> you know, I may have been distracted in, in the short term as well as the long term. Mm. So I think what Reed's saying here, in order to be honest 
uh, be curious, um, be driven towards collaboration. We not only need to share and collaborate ourselves to other people, but also be open when other people are offering or asking for a chance to collaborate with us. Yes. Yeah. And let's build on that for a while because I think you're absolutely right. But here's here's a couple of pragmatic things uh, because I think I fell victim to loving my own ideas way too much in my early career. But I think it's always the starting point that people hold bias. Our history and our context brings bias. So look at how different the women in innovation series was to the media innovation series. And one of the things is that, you know, what you could clearly see is all those women were fighting big battles before they got to the battle of the idea. They were just saying, Hey, I'm a woman. Would you please listen? Right now Mm. that creates a bias on both sides of the equation. I think another thing is like, once you know that there's bias around, I think one of the great practical tips we can give our listeners is to distinguish the difference between an an opinion and a fact. And I think distinguishing the difference between fact and fiction is really, really important. And actually, if you go into the art of critical thinking and we think about Read telling us to understand is you can start with, hey, we got bias. Two, um, we really need to uh, dig in there and actually work out, is that a fact or is that like your opinion? And then lastly, to qualify, if it is a fact, to qualify it properly, or if it's an opinion, to qualify that. And what you will find in the search for truth and in for the search of both sides of any argument is if you do a good job of, is that really the case? Show me, prove it to me. If that's your opinion, tell me how you got there. And lastly, qualify and understand the fact or the opinion before you jump to conclusion. And I think this is very, this is a work in progress for us all. I'm always trying to not jump five steps ahead, but just to methodically take my time, gather the facts, gather the insights. But if we do that, I think we can start along that journey to understanding both sides of a point of view. Mm, I totally agree. I am putting my hands up. I very, very quickly jump to either conclusions or action. It's very easy to jump into saying, right, I'm going to go and do this. Mm-hmm. But actually, I'm going to try to encourage my, my own being to, to take that beat, to ask those questions of uh, another person's point of view so that I myself can be curious, you know, like Reed's telling us, always be learning. And when you don't have that tendency to, to listen and instead have a tendency for action, you know, that's sometimes where things can yes. you know, come off the rails perhaps. And you can so. t- totally see how we, how we get off track because if we jump to conclusions and we only saw one point of view and we thought we acted like the, f- the opinion was actually a fact and we went and built this huge expensive product only to realize it was built on a completely wrong insight. I mean, you see how that happens in companies all the time. And so if you can have the art of critical thinking, seeing both sides of the equation, you can go 
a long way, maybe 182 million registered users way a la Netflix. Whew. Marky, Mark, oh. this one has been a biggie, hasn't it? That's been good. That's that's a lot of clips, um, a couple of really, really meaty ones, a lot of tips. Uh, and, and what a series, the Media Innovator series. You know, Bob, Mark and Reed, what a triumvirate. What fun. Could you imagine if you had that motley crew around a dinner table with a glass of wine? <laughs> the five of us around at the dinner table. Yeah, that, yeah. That is worth yeah, no <laughs> prizes for guessing who would be the cheekiest. I mean, it's got to be Mark Cuban for sure. Oh, got to be, got to be. But then Reed is all about breaking the rules. Uh, yeah, it's all yeah, about yeah, finding yeah. that. Yeah. But then again, so. they may all behave because Bob's in the room. Be making sure that you know, everybody is in bed on time. You know, he's he's the he's the good one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, um, that brings us to the end of our. Uh, Media Innovators series, um, hot off the press following our Women in Innovation series. So all of those, you can get all the archives at moonshots.io. But Mark, we are just like Reed Hastings and Netflix. We are not standing still. We are thinking about what's next. And we are going to go, for the first time in a while, we're going to go deep on a three-part series on one author. Uh, We are going to go deep into the world of somebody who is, I would say he is uh, at least um, a a peer, if you will, of uh, Simon Sinek. Um, Mark Pearson Freeland, who is next um, Mm. on our journey into learning from innovators? It is psychologist and TED talker, Mr. Adam Grant. Very, very prolific, prolific chap uh, and somebody that we can't wait to sink our teeth into. He's going to be great. I think so. I think he is, he's a relatively new entrant into this thinking differently space. I think, um, I think he brings like a whole collection of great ideas about how business looks and feels in a post-industrial world, in a knowledge economy. We've got give and take, um, you know, this uh, quid pro quo idea in his first book. We've got originals, how nonconformists move the world. Well, geez, I think we've had a few of those, none other than Reed Hastings himself. Um, and then we've also got some, uh, you know, he, he co-wrote a book, Option B, Facing Adversity with with Sheryl Sandberg, which sounds um, pretty pretty on spec for the Moonshots podcast where we see a lot of brave, courageous entrepreneurs, innovators, creators, and designers who have inspired us. Adam's going to lay out some frameworks and methodologies for us. This is going to be very Simon Sinek-esque, but with a different twist. Mark, I'm fired up for Adam Grant. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Super. It's going to be great. Super duper. Well, listen, we've exhausted ourselves going deep into the world of Reed Hastings and Netflix. We've looked at culture. We've looked at critical thinking to be a first principle uh, thinker. I mean, how could you get so much from one chap? Don't forget, he's got a book coming out later this year too, which will be fascinating. And then we will segue in our next show into the world of Adam Grant. It's been wonderful. Mark, thank you to you. Are you going to get an espresso after this show? 
<laughs> yeah, I think I will. Yeah. I think I will. And maybe I'll uh, spark up Netflix tonight and see what Reed's got for me today. There you go. Well, listen, thanks again. Thank you to you. Thank you to all of our listeners. We're almost at 100 ratings in the different podcast apps um, and we have been popping up in all sorts of top 100 charts, which is uh, just mind-blowing to to see um, from all four corners of the world. Uh, Looking at the list here, we are popping up in the top 100 lists in Cyprus, Jamaica, Mongolia, Uruguay, Kenya, Romania, uh, Hong Kong, Colombia, Israel, Finland, Taiwan. It's in incredible um and uh, we've even popped up into the top 100 global business podcast if you can believe that number 98 as of this morning so thank you mark to all your help but most of all thank you to all of our listeners who have contributed so much uh, to this show and going forth keep your suggestions coming in ping us at moonshots.io this was the reed hastings episode episode 74 of the moonshots podcast that's a wrap